Welcome to day 67 of the story that changes everything. Our readings for today are chapters 7 through 9 of Joshua and Psalm 28. Here are some thoughts to guide your reading for today. In the chapters preceding our readings for today, two important things happened. First, Joshua encountered a human-like figure who turned out to be the commander of the Lord's armies. When Joshua asked him whose side he was on, he answered, neither. The point being that if Israel was obedient, God would be fighting with them and even for them in battle. But if they became disobedient, no such help would come from God. In fact, they might even find themselves fighting against God. That leads to the second important thing that happened. In chapter 6, they won an easy victory over the fortified city of Jericho. It was, in fact, more of a worship event than a battle. With God's help in bringing down the walls, the city was quickly overthrown. But now, what happens in chapters 7 and 8 will serve as a contrast story to the victory in Jericho. Obedience brought victory. Disobedience will bring defeat. Chapter 7 opens stating the problem. The Israelites did a disrespectful thing concerning the items reserved for God. By not fully following the harem command from God that designates everyone and everything for either destruction or dedication to God, they had not just been disobedient, but they had opened themselves up to contamination. The main culprit, a man named Akan, serves as a contrast to Rahab in the previous chapter. Rahab was an outsider who acted like an insider and modeled obedience to Yahweh. Akan, in contrast, is an insider who acts like an outsider and will be judged and punished as a disobedient outsider. Rahab's actions bless Israel. Akan's actions bring destruction not just on himself, but on the community. As he did with Jericho in the previous chapter, Joshua sends spies out to scout the city of Ai. They were not impressed or concerned. Two or three units of soldiers should be able to defeat them easily. But instead, the troops were defeated, some killed, and they ran away with their hearts melted and their confidence in shreds. Joshua correctly observes that once the word gets out, Israel would have lost one of its chief advantages, the aura of invincibility. Without this reputation, Israel's enemies would be emboldened to attack them. And Joshua rightly perceives that their defeat is somehow directly aligned with God's displeasure. With God's direction, likely by casting lots, Akan's sin is revealed and judged. In a play on words, he and his family are executed. Akan is executed in the valley of Akor, a word meaning trouble or calamity. Some scholars point out that if he had wanted to, Akan had ample opportunity to step forward and confess, but he chose instead to force God through Joshua to be discovered. Again, we have a text whose violence is troubling, and we must again read it through the light of Christ. However, this text invites readers to take seriously the sin of Akan, in this case covetousness, and consider its impact on the whole nation or community. Our psalm for today, Psalm 28, fits the Akan story well. The psalmist prays that they would not be dragged down with the wicked and those who do evil, those types who talk nice to their friends while evil thoughts are in their hearts, the psalmist says. The psalmist even prays that God would pay them back for what they've done because they have no regard for what the Lord has done. This is a strong prayer, when I have a hard time imagining myself praying during congregational pastoral prayer. However, one of my Old Testament scholar friends likes to remind me that Israel took sin seriously 
and then took their concerns to God in prayer, believing that if action is needed to be taken and judgment made, that God would do it. Having dealt with Akan Sin, chapter 8 now returns to the battle with Ai. The narration of the battle is slow and dramatic, where biblical narratives are concerned. The narrative seems to delight in describing Joshua's strategic maneuvers and drawing out the king of Ai and the military so that the city could be destroyed and the troops caught in the middle of an ambush. The image in verse 18 of Joshua raising up his javelin and the armies rising up in victory is likely meant to be a reflection of Moses raising up his staff and parting the waters or defeating the Amalekites. Now that Akan's sin has been purged and the people are back to being obedient and being on the Lord's side, Joshua and the people renew the covenant on Mount Ebal as Moses had commanded them to do earlier in Deuteronomy. Chapter 9 marks a change in the narrative of Joshua. Until now, Israel targeted those cities standing in the way of its establishment in the land. For the next few chapters, Israel itself will be the target of other tribes and nations. In the same way that chapters 6-8 through showed a contrast between the easy defeat of Jericho versus the challenge of Ai, chapter 9 will describe a nation that makes peace with Israel and then contrast it to other nations that make war with them in chapters 10 through 12. The Gibeonites act shrewdly and trick Joshua and the leaders into making a promise in the name of Yahweh that they keep because they want to honor God's name and not risk God's wrath. The lives of the Gibeonites are spared, and they are given a role of service within the community. The shrewdness of the Gibeonites in this story reminds me of the book The Peace Child by Don Richardson. The book is a missionary story, and it tells of Richardson's work among the Sawi people in New Guinea. After learning the language, Richardson told them the gospel story. At the end of it, they wanted to know much more about this Judas. Richardson realized that the tribe so valued shrewdness and treachery as virtues for survival that they considered Judas as the hero in the story. By the way, if you get to the end of the gospel and people want to know more about Judas, something went wrong. Richardson finally found a way to tell them the gospel story that would help them to understand Jesus more clearly. Nevertheless, there seems to be a handful of biblical narratives, like the Sawi people, that appreciate a little bit of trickery and slyness and shrewdness, like Jacob's ability to trick his father and steal his brother's blessing, or Tamar's ability to fool Judah and end up conceiving a child, or in this story, a people who carry around dried up bread to make the Israelites think they're from a long way away when they're really from right around the corner. Somehow that behavior is not just smiled at, but in some cases, kind of honored. Tragedy, victory, and even a little humor come together in today's text. Read today's chapters carefully, looking for things you've never seen before. Journal your thoughts, prayers, and questions. And whatever you do, don't hide God's stuff under your tent. The texts for tomorrow are Joshua chapters 10 through 12. I'll talk to you tomorrow.